You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. Welcome to Locked On NFL Podcast. I am Matt Williamson. Happy Draft Day Eve to all of you, and especially to my guest, Mark Schofield, who joins me every Wednesday. Mark, what's up, man? What's going on, buddy? It's been a week since we talked. We had the Locked On NFL Podcast Network mock draft last week, which was fantastic. Kudos to everybody for that. So it's great to be back with you. We are basically on the cusp of the draft. It is finally here. I can't wait to see who goes where, and I can't wait to start yelling about Tua and Justin Herbert come, I guess, I don't know, Saturday night. We'll start yelling about the 2020 class, but it's always exciting to have the draft upon us. It's like the culmination of a year, basically, of watching guys and yelling about them, and now we get to see where they go. Yeah, and we're brought to you by Mock Out. I'll tell you about them here in a minute, and we're gonna Mark and I are going to talk prospects for sure. Welcome, many of you. We have many new listeners because of that mock draft that Mark you know, referenced all last week. The whole network joined together. That was awesome. I urge you to go back and check from, you know, in, in my history, you go from Monday to Friday and listen to all those. They still stand up very well. But the news of the day, and it's kind of fitting because yesterday, Mark, I did a joint uh, podcast with Locked On Colts, and the bulk of the first two segments were Frank Clark talk. You know, the Colts were... Very much in it. He ended up going to Kansas City. And when when we finished the podcast, he basically asked me, if you were to bet between the Chiefs and the Colts ending up with Clark, who would you take? And I sound kind of smart because I said the Chiefs. And I think that they're a little bit more in it to win it. Or they're a little more aggressive. Um, and I don't mean that as a compliment necessarily. I think the Colts are building a foundation. They're not going to overspend. They're not going to make the quick fix. They're going to build a bigger picture there. Let's talk about this move. Yeah, it's it makes sense in one way for the Chiefs. We all know that they needed pass rush help. Look, they lose out on D Ford, lose out on Justin Houston. You need somebody that's going to come off the edge, pair them with Chris Jones on the inside. And Frank Clark on the field between the lines is a tremendous pass rusher. So that part of it in a vacuum does make sense but there are other components here at work there's obviously what the chiefs had to part ways with yeah. to go get him i mean they're giving up a first rounder you know they're giving up a lot to go get him and then they turn around and sign him to a five-year 105.5 million dollar contract which is more than demarcus lawrence got 63.5 million guaranteed that's a lot of money for a team that is going to have to pay potentially Tyreek Hill. Now, maybe this is a window into what they're thinking on that front, and is certainly going to have to pay Patrick Mahomes. And so when you're looking at what we expect Mahomes to get when he comes up for his deal, Clark will still be under his. That's a lot of money tied up in two players. And yes, pass rush and QB are very important, perhaps the two most important spots on a roster. That's a lot. And you said that this was kind of – Maybe I don't want to. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't want to say that it was a panic move, but it was more of a aggressive move, is the way you framed it. And I think that's yeah. the right, right way to frame it. I think the Colts, by contrast, look, they're building. You know, they can address a couple of different needs with the picks that they have. They have a nice foundation in place. They're like moving slowly, but generally in the right direction. The Chiefs are just we have to win now and maximize the Mahomes window because eventually everybody's going to want to get paid. Right, right. The quarterbacks are in different contractual situations when you look at Indy, you look at the Chiefs. A um, couple things I want to throw at you, especially from your 
Well, I guess from my Steeler and your Patriot perspective, too, I mean, the teams that we're closest to have been the biggest powerhouses in the AFC, especially New England, obviously, over the last generation, really. And I look at these two teams, the Colts and the Chiefs, and I don't think this move is seismic enough to sway me one way or another, but I kind of look at them in contention to be the next powerhouses. And I know some people are probably going, what about the Browns? I mean, Chargers are still good. These two, to me, quarterback, foundation, O-lines are awfully strong. Yeah, they're, they're two very good teams. And it does start sort of with the quarterback position. And yeah, people will say, what about Baker? And look, he's going to be there. Don't worry. You know, but when you look at Andrew Luck, you look at what Patrick Mahomes has done. Um, it's clear that these two teams were pretty close. And for the Chiefs, they were an overtime drive away from being in the Super Bowl. And so, you know, it's a good move in that sort of win now sense. I think the bigger question, I kind of was wondering if this is where you were headed. Of those two teams, the Chiefs and the Colts, which sort of scares you more, say, short term and which probably scares you more long term? And I'd say for maybe the next year or two, it's probably Kansas City. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, with the way that the Colts seem to be putting pieces together, I love obviously Darius Leonard. I think he was a fantastic find for them. You've still got luck. They're probably going to address wide receiver at some point in this draft. Maybe, you know, a couple of positions on the defensive line. They could be built for a longer, more sustained kind of run. I agree. I think their foundation might be the best in football. I think these two quarterbacks might be number one and two if I were to do a quarterback list. I mean, I really think luck is that good yet again. Um, I do think the Chiefs scare me a little more now. And this move helps because, I mean, I look at the defense and say they, they've, they've had some defections and we they showed us last year that their defense doesn't have to be good, let alone great. But if they can cause big plays, they'll be really hard to beat because we know they're going to score and Frank Clark helps them cause big plays. Yeah. You know, he, he's going to generate a couple of strip sacks over the course of the season. He's going to get, you know, that defense into some third and long situations where they can probably get off the field more than they did last year because that defense was their Achilles heel. And so if you look at like – a lot of people think that in today's NFL, with the rules the way they are, with the passing game the way it is, and with the field sort of slanted towards the offense, that a defense doesn't need to get a bunch of stops. They need to get like one or two and then maybe generate one or two takeaways a game. And that's going to be all you can ask for from your defense. Frank Clark might help them do that. And again, pairing him with Jones on the inside, that might be enough in terms of pass rush. And then some of the other guys, whether it's Okafor, whether it's, you know, Raglan with some blitz type stuff, you know, Breland Spreaks who could do some things off the edge as well. They might be able to piece together enough where the defense will still be an improvement to make them a team to contend, you know, in the next year or two. But then the money will start to become the issue when you've got Mahomes and think about, you know, Tyree Kill, what they're going to do there. I don't know Kelsey's contract situation. I'd have to look that up. Um, but he might be wanting to get paid down the road. And he's one of the premier tight ends of the game. So there are going to be people expecting some paydays. That might make it tougher, but this sort of does make it seem like it's a win-now kind of thing, which makes sense given Mahomes and his contract status for the next couple of years. Yeah, and how close they are, I mean, as of yeah. last year. Um, I guess you could make the argument, though, I think Frank Clark's a better football player than Houston or Ford. I also talked yesterday, I don't know if he's a reformed man or if he's still a bad dude or if he's the best guy on the planet. I'm in character stuff. But KC's going to take more chances on those guys than Indy. But I think, you know, just mathematically, Clark minus the money you spent, the draft picks you spent, 
minus Houston, minus Ford, plus what you got back from Ford. You know what I mean? Like the, the whole equation, are you better off? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the other question here. And that gets to the, you know, not just the contract, but what they had to give up to go get Clark. I think, you know, he's probably a better player maybe in the year right in front of us yeah. than they probably would have gotten in the draft at that point. Like, I don't think they were going to get a pass rusher picking where they were, you know, that's going to do what Flank Carr can do next year. Maybe in the year or two down the road, you might get somebody that could develop, but it's still a stretch. And so, you know, for right now, it probably is better. But I think over the course of this deal, I think staying pat, drafting somebody, and then development might have been the better play. But if they're truly in win-now mode, I guess it makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just saying Houston and Ford was a lot to leave. Why not just keep them yeah. at the lesser price? You know, I, 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 it's interesting. I mean, I do think he's the best asset of those three. I'm going to talk Seahawks a lot tomorrow with Mike Sando. That's his neck of the woods. But, folks, this is what the Seahawks are thinking is – Unlike the Chiefs, their quarterback is locked up for the long term. Russell Wilson's not going anywhere. They only had four picks in this draft. And I know that they are a winning organization, but they need a lot. You have team needs for Seattle. They need a lot. And here's what they have going forward now is now they have a wealth of picks over these next two drafts, including letting a lot of you know free agents go. They're going to have a lot of comp picks going forward. So... They're going to have a wealth of draft picks with a quarterback locked up, and that team's going to look a lot different two years from now. Yeah, it is. And I, I do like this move from Seattle's perspective because they were a prime trade down option when they were just sitting at 21. They just had the four picks. Obviously, you want to add some talent around Wilson because you now have locked him up for a while. Now they've got 21 and 29. That's a situation where they can still spin one of those first rounders, maybe 21. Um, for some additional picks this year, add some of those picks maybe in the second and third round range because that might be the meat of this draft, say mm-hmm. 35 to 105. We've talked about that before in the show. And so they could move out of 21, still get somebody nice at 29, You know, maybe somebody on the defensive side of the ball, maybe some offensive line help, and then add some nice value talent in that day two range. And then still with those picks they got next year as part of this deal, that's a nice little haul for them. And so this has sort of set them up to say, okay, we're going to retool around Wilson, and now we've got the draft capital in place to start doing that. I hate to say rebuild, but they're kind of rebuilding with a quarterback. Yeah, and, you know, re, rebuild, retool, something like that. You a know. good team's version of a rebuild. Right. <laughs> you know I mean? and, and look, with Russell Wilson, like he's still good enough that they're going to win some games, even as they start to like fill in the pieces around him because of what he brings to the table as a quarterback. Like he's a guy that look, you go pay him because look, you've got different buckets for quarterbacks: guys you win because of, guys you win with. And Wilson's a guy you win games because of. And so I think they could still be competitive even as they start to sort of retool, refine, rebuild, whatever around them. Yeah, and I thought they would win five or six games last year. And they surpassed that. I mean, they're not going to be a bottom feeder. Um, I've mentioned Mockout before. I have the Mockout app on my phone. I filled out a bracket. Mockout is the only app where you can make a mock draft and enter a mock draft contest. So all of you are going to watch the draft tomorrow anyways, of course, which you obviously should. So make it count and get some skin in the game. With Mockout, you can make a mock draft pool for you and your friends. Then you can have rooting interest in every pick as opposed to just your favorite team. So because when you're in a mock draft pool, every pick matters. 
Um, not just your favorite team. The draft is less than a week away. <laughs> it's a day away. So it can be so much better for you to go to mockout.com, get the free app, and own the draft. All right, Mr. Schofield. A name that you and I have mentioned since you've been a regular Wednesday guest often, but I feel like we haven't broken him down enough, is you called him the battleship, Haskins. Yeah. Let's and, talk Haskins a little bit in depth here. It, it's interesting with Haskins because I'll preface the discussion we're about to have by saying, one, he's my quarterback, two in this class. I have Murray, one, Haskins, two. And also, I do want to preface that a couple of years ago, I had Connor Cook, four, and last year I had Josh Rosen, one. And I say that because where I come from and how I view quarterbacks, traditionally the guy that can make those throws from the pocket that is your prototypical pocket-type passer is a guy that I gravitate towards. I like the guy that can you know, adjust the protection and hand in there when the pocket is collapsing around him and stick a throw on an out route on a third and seven to move the sticks. I think that's a huge part of playing the position. And Haskins, that's his game. The issue that I have with him is this, Matt. I love him from basically breaking the huddle to the release point because in the pre-snap phase, the mental stuff, I think he's tops in this class. But my issue with him is some what we can say is the results side of the ledger because there are times and I've got it all in my notes, a bunch of different places, Purdue game, his Penn State game, his Indiana game, you know, up until near the end of the season when he just had some great games. But before that, you were seeing him do everything right and then just miss the throw. Whether it's a combination of mechanics, placement, whatever. It's just everything is great up until that last little bit of the puzzle and he doesn't deliver. And traditionally, that's what we'd want to see in quarterbacks, right? You want to see, look, is he making the right reads, the right decisions, is the process right? Because then we could worry about the other stuff. But when you're contrasting him with a guy like Harlan Murray, where the results are just always off the charts, and he seems to be able to put things together, and yeah, you know, maybe it's not the most complex offense that he's running. And yes, you know, Murray is better on anticipation throws, and he's probably better at manipulating defenders with his eyes, but it's hard to overlook Murray's process. And so that's why I kind of have Murray over Haskins. But I still think Haskins is a very good quarterback. I have no doubt that he could be a great quarterback in the National Football League. It's just I do have my little reservations with him on that issue. And I think with what Murray brings to the table, that gives him the nod over Haskins for me. But I still like Haskins. And I think whoever drafts him is going to get a guy that can play in this league and play a long time. I know there's a lot of talk. Murray may or may not go number one. I'm going to talk to Sando more about that tomorrow. But if we assume he does, Baker Mayfield and Murray would be the only first-round quarterbacks, I think, in the last, what, three years, I mean, since Winston's class, that were not traded up to acquire. You know, And I wonder, is someone going to – is Haskins the type of guy, though, that someone moves in the top five, the top eight, to go get? I mean, is he on par with the other trade-up guys we've seen? And lastly, if you were to give a grade to him as a passer, accuracy – arm strength, touch, a combination, what kind of grade would you give him? Right. I, I think the the tricky thing is if we assume Murray is gone at one, you know, there's a chance that a team might still have to trade up to get Haskins because there are some teams that could potentially go quarterback. Mm-hmm. Obviously Denver, at six Cincy. with the Giants, yeah. Denver at ten. So let's take Cincy for example. I like Cincy as a fit for Dwayne Haskins. I've written about it, we've talked about it. If you do want to get him, you probably want to get ahead 
of Denver at 10. You probably want to get ahead of the Giants at six. And so, you know, we've seen, you know, look at last year, team trades up to get Darnold, team trades up to get Josh Allen. And so we have seen some trade-up scenarios before. And so I, I think he's probably in this draft a player that, yes, you would have to trade up and go get. Now, in terms of a grade, you know, grading these guys on somewhat of a curve as prospects, not as like finished pro passers, I would give Murray sort of a B, B plus type grade. You know, I think I'm just talking as a passer, Mark. I mean, it's yeah. purely as a thrower. Yeah. As okay. A, Murray's as a, a thrower, BB plus. Um, no, Murray's more an A minus. Okay. I was say that's a little I, low I to think me. He's, he's got great arm talent and the combination of touch, velocity, trajectory as a passer is phenomenal in this class. And I would, I would put Murray sort of as a BB plus. And so, you, I mean, Haskins as a BB plus. So Murray, like an A minus. Haskins is a BB plus kind of guy. I, I think a lot of what Haskins does is the mental side. Like there are better, I think, pure passers in this draft. Murray being one, perhaps you can make a case for a, a Drew Locke. Um, but I think the mental component is where Haskins really shines, especially in contrast with some of the other guys in this group. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the other name I want to mention is Jeffrey Simmons. And yeah. I watch him and think, boy, he might be... As good as Quinnen. I mean, like, if he was a clean, clean prospect, great character, not injured, I think he's a top five, top seven pick. Like, he's in conversations in that Bosa-Williams kind of category. And on my show, many, many times, I have said if I'm the Raiders with either one of their picks in the 20s, I'm grabbing this guy in a heartbeat. And now I'm thinking about it. What about Seattle now with their two late first round picks? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's probably going to get into the 20s because there are teams that have, you know, teams picking in the top 20 have more immediate needs. But then you get to, like you said, Seattle at 21 and 29. You've got Oakland, you know, if he's there for them, perhaps 27. And then you get into teams like the Chargers at 28. You know, they might be in a position where they've got some needs around the fringes, but they could take a chance on a player like him. They could afford it. Yeah, you know, Green Bay, they're at 30. They've already got a first-round pick at 12. They could address maybe, we think, tight end there. And then they could go instead of, you know, people are assuming maybe a Drew Locke there if he's somehow there. I don't think that happens. Simmons would make sense. You look at the Rams, you know, they've got the Sioux situation worked out. You've obviously got Donald. I mean, can you imagine a year from now, Simmons and Donald together (laughs) on the inside? I mean, that's just – that's like – frightening to think about and then of course New England at 32 and so I don't think Simmons gets out of the first round I think there are a number of, te- number of teams either with you know multiple first round picks like the Seattle or, or Oakland situations or teams that you know have some needs but not a lot of pressing needs like say the Chargers like say the Packers the Rams the Patriots that they could look at them and say for the value you're getting a top five type player yes a medical redshirt but at the end of the first round that's a fantastic value. So, yeah, I don't think he gets out of the first round at all. And it, it makes sense. And I think even if he – let's just say he were healthy right now, I think he's still a top-five player. Yes, the character concerns are there. But I think if he were clean and healthy and didn't have the injury, he's probably a guy coming off in the top five of this draft. Yeah, I agree that he won't get out of the first round. But if he does, he's like the definition of a player that – on Thursday night going into Saturday, everyone's calling the team with, you know, the, oh, the yeah. Cardinals, you know, I want to get up to to 2-1. Or the Cardinals are going, boy, we really loved Quinn and Williams, but we took Murray because we love him too. And we're going to get Simmons at the second pick in the first round. Now you're talking, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that would be a fantastic situation. And, yeah, like you Dying. said, if he somehow gets out of the first round, the phones will be ringing off the hook Thursday night at Arizona saying, look, can we get there? Like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, please, please, we'll do whatever it takes to go up there and get him. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't imagine he gets to the second round. But if he does, somebody's going to either move up to get him or Arizona's going to say, hey, well, didn't this kind of work out in our favor? Huh? <laughs> right, right. Or the Giants with multiple picks. I wonder if they right. need 17 on him even. You know, I mean, that's that's not outside the realm of possibility. Yeah. Let's say they go quarterback at six, you know, whether it's Daniel Jones, Haskins, whatever. And then you could say, look, we – Gettleman's an old school guy. What did he say just a couple of days ago? There are some, you know, indefinite truths about the NFL. You have to run the football and you have to stop the run, right? Yeah. Well, Jeffrey Simmons can help you do one of those things. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, we're going to take another quick break. I got another f- a few prospects, random ones that I want to talk to Mark about when we return. Brian Burns is yeah. very appealing. I mean, super athletic. Great edge bender, get off, speed, can get low, very flexible, fast. Here's two things, though, about him that I just want to bring up. I want to get your impressions of him. I don't see a lot of power. You know, I just wonder that when tackles in the league know his strengths and weaknesses and have played against him a few times and aren't afraid of him converting speed to power or being very heavy-handed, that they will start to get the book on him. And I've also heard some people lately, and I've never really seen them this way, as kind of an Anthony Barr type that would be used off the line of scrimmage a lot. I don't like that thought, to be honest with you, but I bet he's athletic enough to pull it off. Yeah, he's athletic enough to do it, but I think that kind of takes away what he brings yeah, to the table right. quickest as in the NFL as a guy that's going to line up, pin his ears back on third and lawn, and get after the quarterback. And I think if you're – like I've got him – and again, my top five rankings of positions like take him with a huge, huge grain of salt like outside the quarterback position. But I've got him as sort of edge too because I'm betting on the athleticism for him to contribute early and then developing a better pass rush player than just beating guys around the arc, right? Because that's what he does right now. Like that's how he wins. He's going to need a better pass rush plan and a better array of pass rush moves because like you said, yeah, he might get the better of guys – like say he's playing a divisional opponent the first time this of a season, yeah, he might win a couple of one on ones then, but the next time during that rematch, that tackle's going to know. Look, he's got one move, mm-hmm. and I'm going to you know ride him to the outside, and that's going to be the end of it. That's, so he's going to have to have right. yeah, it's enough initially, but you're going to need more. So I bet it on him being able to combine his athleticism with some true NFL coaching to be able to develop a better varied pass rusher. Roach. Because in college, look, he could still do that and be successful all the time because he was a super athlete. So I'm banking on long term. But if your team sort of picking near the top of the board, like, say, San Francisco, they probably wouldn't go both. You know, they go both. You know, if he, he's there. Mm-hmm. But say at Detroit, for example, that needs some pass rush help. A lot of people have said Montez Sweat. I would bet perhaps more on the athleticism, him and the upside with him. Um, the development of long term and then plus with the sweat health conditions, the heart situation, you might be worried about that as well. But I kind of like him from an athleticism. I'm better on his long term development. And, you know, coaches are going to look at him and say, boy, I can develop him. I mean, you oh, give yeah, me those type of skills. I'm gonna yeah, give me that athleticism. But, yeah, the, the moving him off ball, 
I don't know. I mean, that, that then you're asking well with me. Right. That doesn't sit well with me either, Matt. I think that's a great point because one, you're negating his, what he brings to the table immediately, and two, you're asking him to do something he's somewhat unfamiliar with, and so you're putting some stuff on a mentally from a mental standpoint that. He hasn't been asked to do before, so that's going to be another part of the developmental curve that you're adding to his play. Right? Yeah, I mean, on passing downs, I don't want him running with Travis Kelsey. I want him coming no. after Mahomes, you know, right? Yeah. Um, a corner whose name I didn't know until a couple weeks ago, despite being at a giant school, Savion Smith. Can you tell me a little bit about him? There's a lot of buzz about him right now. Yeah, there is a lot of buzz about him, and what's interested is, you know, he had this sort of injury you know, in the third quarter of the national championship game. So that's been something that he's been dealing with. I like him. Look, 6'1", 175. So he's not a huge type guy. Like he's a smaller guy. Um, but when you look at him, one, I like sort of, he's, he's bulked up a bit. He's he waiting at 199. I like guys that come from that sort of Alabama system, right? Because you've got the schematic stuff that you're going to have to learn to operate in the National Football League because they do so much and sort of their, their max, their combination coverages, rip list and all that kind of stuff. And so I think that you're going to get a very smart, very NFL ready type corner from the mental perspective. Now he's got some average speed. His ball skills might be a little bit weaker. Um, than some of the other guys in this class. But I think he's got some good length to him. He can start to fill up that frame a little bit more. He's a pretty good press corner at times. Again, got that length. And he's also a very good run fit type of corner. He's got no hesitation coming down and playing the run. And so if you're getting to that day two, early day three range, and what has kind of been an, a shaky corner class, I think he's a guy that could step in and play immediately because of the mental side that he brings to it and then develop some of the other stuff around him. There's a lot of teams in that need off-the-ball linebacker help, and there's only two Devons. They're going to get swallowed up quick. Maybe Mac Wilson's next in line on most lists. He is. But two names I think that you – I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I just read your list. So you're probably somewhat excited about. Brian Cashman from Minnesota, Drew Tranquil from Notre Dame. Let's wrap the show up with those two. Yeah, and Cashman has really sort of risen up boards. Like he's had a very good like draft process. You know, now people are saying that he could be an early target on day two. And you know, watching him, you know, cover Minnesota as I do a little bit for um, the Rivals website over there, you see some athleticism with him. You see him test well. He's got a great nose for the football, and he's one of those guys that checks that sort of competitive toughness box, right? Because mm-hmm. he was a walk on. He's got that chip on his shoulder he wants to prove that he can contribute to a team and he takes on a special teams role and that's going to fit going to be the thing that probably gets him drafted and you're talking about a guy that went from walk-on to captain like those are the kinds of guys that they will do anything for a spot i could just see like for example a uh, bill belichick looking at him and say he's sitting there on the board and he's available say sometime in the third round and saying give me that guy like, I know this guy's going to find a way to contribute for our team. And guys like that tend to stick in the NFL for a long time. And so I think he could be a very good player. And similarly, look, Drew Tranquil, uh, another team leader type guy, you know, has some injury history to him. So that might be a concern for some teams. Um, but I think that when you look at the body of work, some of the nose for the football type stuff that he does at the linebacker spot that you still need in today's NFL, I think he checks that box. And another linebacker to mention, Jahani Tavai mm. from Hawaii. He's a kid that I love. He's a very versatile linebacker. You can see him doing some Mike stuff. You can see him doing some Will stuff, even some Sam stuff against Army, for example. Matt, they put him down on a four-point stance at the edge to help against that sort of 
you know, wishbone, triple option type offense that Army was running. So a very versatile kid. I think he's another player that's got a, that head for the football, that passion for playing the game. Like we often see with linebackers. It's a it's a different breed, that linebacker position. But those three guys, I think, when we get into sort of that day two, day three range, teams are going to love what they can bring to the table, both mentally as well as what they do when, you know, they've got that nose for the football type situation. The teams are going to like drafting those guys. Yeah, and you mentioned it. I mean, if you use a fourth-round pick on one of these dudes and he plays quite a bit for you but is a core special teamer for eight yeah. years, that's worth the pick, fellas. You know what I mean? Like, But you mentioned yeah. Belichick. You'd take that all day long with third-round third picks. And, and I do think this crop of third, fourth-round linebackers isn't quite as bad as it was made out to be. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, let's not forget there are three phases to the game, friends. Mm-hmm. And how many times do we see a game swing on a freak special teams play or a huge special teams play, a return, a fumble, something like that, a scoop and score situation? These are the guys you're going to be drafted on, say, day three, those linebacker types that will be, you know, running the alley on kickoff as much as we're legislating that out of the game or, you know, going downfield to cover a punt that could swing the game in a different direction because of a special teams play. And so these types of players, the Tranquils, the Cashmans, the Tavais, they can win a game for you that might be the difference between, you know, eight and eight and sitting at home and nine and seven and squeaking into the playoffs. No doubt about it. I mean, I I think of like the Patriots, the Ravens, the Rams, some of these teams that do really put an emphasis on that could certainly be very interested. Um, Folks, that's a wrap. Please leave me some some good feedback on iTunes. Tune in tomorrow. Mike Sando, my old buddy from ESPN, will be here Thursday. And tomorrow is draft night. Good stuff. Over and out.